Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Shaniqua McClendon. Shaniqua has worked in politics for a decade and currently serves as political director for Crooked Media, home to the popular podcast, Pod Save America. In this role, Shaniqua led the creation of their voter engagement program, Vote Save America, and volunteer engagement program, Adopt a State, which has educated millions of voters, recruited hundreds of thousands of volunteers, and raised millions of dollars for progressive causes and candidates. Prior to Crooked Media, Shaniqua worked on Capitol Hill, serving as a policy advisor to Senator K.R. Hagan and Congresswoman Alma S. Adams. Shaniqua earned a BA in Journalism and Mass Communications and a BS in Business Administration from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and a Master in Public Policy from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. She serves on the Register Her Board and was a fellow at the USC Center for the Political Future. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Shaniqua McClendon. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Welcome to Fireside. Yes, thank you. This is my first time here. Um, I will just go ahead and admit, I thought this was like a video thing. I should have explored the app a little bit more. Awesome. Yeah, actually, so the beauty of Fireside is it can be a video thing. So there's all these different bells and whistles you can add onto your show. So it can be audio or video. So you were wrong, but today we're just doing audio. Perfect. That makes me feel better. Well, we're so excited to have you here today. We like to start every show with a fun and light question, and then we're going to dive into your 20s. So the first question I'm just going to ask you is, what is something new you learned this week? It could be maybe a new business you're excited about, maybe a podcast you guys have at Crooked Media, maybe an interesting fact you learned or a conversation you had with someone, but something new you learned this week that you can share with our followers. Yes. Okay. That is an interesting question. So I will be honest, most of last week we were off of work for Labor Day. So, I mean, this isn't the most positive thing in the world, but just keeping up with everything that's happening. Oh, wait, sorry. You said this is supposed to be a light question. So I'm going to give you a light answer. It can can be whatever you want. If it's not light, all good. That's life. Whatever you want. Yeah. Well, then the news last week, um, actually the news for the past month and a half has been very, very intense with what's happening, you know, with our withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Supreme Court decision, or I guess lack of a decision um, around the Texas abortion bill. And then I think most of us know that climate change has been happening, but it just seems like with all of the natural disasters that are happening around the country um, and the world, quite frankly, that I don't know, it just kind of feels like everything is coming to a head. I I would say one positive side of this is I think more people are paying attention to a lot of these things. And so I am hopeful that more people will get engaged. And I think one thing I can say I've learned from the start of the year, sorry for going against your question a little bit, but people are paying attention more than they have been. But I think even more important, people want to get engaged and figure out how they can have an impact more than ever. So that is the bright side of all of this. Yeah, I mean, that's real life. So thank you for sharing. Do you have any tips or tricks for our listeners when things do get overwhelming? What's that line between wanting to get involved and being upset about what we're watching, but then also taking care of ourselves? And I'm sure 
you're at the center of all of this, right? So it's like, it's your job. It's also your passion. Mm -hmm. How do you take care of yourself? And how do you draw that line when it is like one thing after another, especially in the past, you know, week or two, like you said? Yeah. Um, You know, it's the hardest thing for me to do, but you actually just have to unplug and, and disengage. I, well, you know, when I started on the Hill in 2010, the news was on, like every room had a TV, my second office, every desk had a television. So I was just always consuming the news. And, you know, it was necessary for my job. But it just kind of, I don't know, it just felt like, oh, I have to do this. And even last year, keeping up with everything during the election, but this year I've been, you know, if something big is happening, I'll have the news on just nonstop. But other than that, I try to take some time away from it. And then just kind of from a broader view, my career in general, I, you know, I know a lot of people are not fortunate enough to say that they're really passionate about the work that they do, but I am. And then it causes it to spill over into, you know, my personal life. But it's just really saying I'm not going to pay attention to the news today, which sounds, that sounds weird even coming out of my mouth, but really just having to pull back from social media and the news, because right now it's been this way for some time. Our news cycle is 24 hours and you just have to take a break. It's it's unsustainable. And so I know people talk a lot about self-care and sometimes it feels like that's something companies are pushing on us to buy their things. But even if it's as simple as taking a bath or I will just, you know, I'll put my phone across the room, I'll turn on some reality television and I'll just sit in front of it for a few hours. But it is important to take some time away. Absolutely. I feel you on the reality TV thing. I'm, I'm more of a shower person than a bath, but I feel like that's the recipe to, you know, overcome anything. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take it back to the very beginning. And like you said, learn all about how you figured out what your greatest passion is and, and how you're doing it now. So we're going to take it back to when you were younger. What did you want to be when you grew up? <sighs> okay, don't judge me, y'all. But I, I really wanted to be a psychologist, not for... You know, I have a therapist now and I understand that they do very important, impactful work. I just wanted to like hear stories about people's lives and like, I don't know, I think I processed it as like gossip that I could hear, which, you know, again, uh, now that I have a therapist and am adult, understand that that is not what therapy is for. But when I got to high school, I became very interested in like going into the business sector and specifically in accounting and then went on to college and I majored in business and journalism, which I can talk about how I ended up with a journalism degree later, which I'm really happy that I have. But I just had this belief that if I could, I didn't grow up with a lot. And so I got this idea stuck in my head that if I chased jobs that made a tremendous amount of money, I could have a different adulthood from my childhood and, and maybe help, you know, my mother out who was a single mother raising three daughters, try to help her out in some way. But then I got to college, I started to understand the world a bit more and realized that, you know, you don't just become poor because you want to be. It's a lot of decisions, especially decisions that our elected officials are making that have an impact. And it's not a unique situation. It's one that impacts, you know, millions of people in this country and around the world. And so the solution was going to be bigger than me just like getting a job to take care of me and my family. I wanted to try to have a broader impact. And it sounds like, you know, it was a personal problem for you and you were going to just solve it with your own job. And then in reality, you realized there was a lot more that you could do for other people. So they didn't feel the way that you did. And ultimately, they could even follow their passions and in their careers because they had, whether it's, you know, better financial education or, you know, whatever that may be. So Let's take it to going to college. I know you ended up going to UNC Chapel Hill and like you said, majored in you know, journalism, PR and business. 
what led you to decide UNC Chapel Hill? What was it about the school that you liked and how did you like your experience there? Yes. So the final decision on me going to UNC Chapel Hill was I wanted to go to the University of Miami and my mother said no. She said, I don't know why you think I'm going to let an 18 year old go live in Miami. So it's interesting because I think I was just really resistant to the idea of going to a school that was 40 minutes from where I grew up. I really wanted to like be on my own and all this other stuff that now at my age, I realized like my mother was doing the right thing and keeping me at least somewhat close. And Chapel Hill is not an environment. It's not like Miami. I, I think that I probably would not have fared well down there balancing schoolwork and all there is to do. And so I settled on UNC. And at first I was not excited about going, but then I went to, um, you know, orientation and new admit day. And it was it was amazing. And I was slowly sold on it. But once I got there, UNC is like an amazing institution. As of late, like any other institution, a lot of their issues have spilled out into the forefront, you know, most recently with Nicole Hannah-Jones tenure situation, I guess you can call it um, at first denial and, and then approval. And, you know, since I've graduated, there have been a lot of issues, but and I'm not putting those things aside. But at UNC, I really became interested in helping people because I had a better sense of like what was going on in the world. And it is just an amazing place full of amazing people. We had something really horrific happen while I was there. Our student body president was murdered. And, you know, it was a really hard time on campus, but to see the way that the students came together all because of kind of the Carolina spirit that kind of brought us all there was really amazing. So yes, I can answer about my major. I just went on and on about Carolina. So pretty much I was really interested in getting like this lucrative job in business after college. So I set out to major in business, but you know, something I didn't know until I got to UNC is you get into the, you know, kind of general college, but then if you want to pursue a business degree, you actually have to apply your sophomore year. And I applied and I got rejected and I just did not know what to do. But it was also through my internships. I had financial services internships that I also started to see the way poverty was affecting other people. And then, you know, sophomore year, they send out the email that's like, you need to declare a major. And I had just been rejected from the business school. So I was just kind of all over the place. And I only picked journalism because it was the other like well-known professional school at UNC. And I didn't have to apply. I just had to like have a GPA of a certain level and take some prerequisites. So I did that thinking, okay, I'm going to reapply to the business school and then I'll drop this journalism degree. But in a year or I guess maybe like semester and a half that it took for me to be able to reapply to the business school, I fell in love with the journalism school and I really enjoyed writing and everything that I was doing there. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to do both of these majors and, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But given my career path since, I'm really happy that I got the journalism degree. And I think more than anything, the business degree showed me how many disparities exist in different spaces, but even within the Keenan Flagler School of Business at the undergrad level, there were probably fewer than 10 underrepresented marginalized groups or students from marginalized backgrounds in a school that had 600 students in it. So it really started to plant the seeds for me to go in the opposite direction. Yeah, I can imagine that would be super eye-opening. And it's nice that you had both majors. So you had the more practical, at least in your mind, major, mm -hmm. and then the one that was like your greatest passion at the time. Yeah. And then I know when you were in college, you did a lot of business internships. Could you tell me a little bit more about those? And if you had a chance to pursue anything with your journalism, or was it more so that you were just noticing, oh, in this class, I'm really liking this topic, or, oh, I'm really liking these conversations? Like, how did you 
pursue your journalism interests when you were in college and then telling me a little bit more about your business internships because I know you started to really get some work experience. Yeah. Um, so I honestly have to say all of the fulfillment I needed, I guess, from the journalism degree I was getting through class. It, it just, when I was still in college, journalism was not a serious career path for me. I was dead set on going into the financial sector because I wanted to make money. And so I really enjoyed the classes, but not so much that it made me say, I want to be a journalist. And then as I was going through my final year of college is when I started to kind of understand how public policy works. I remember one of my classmates told me she was majoring in public policy. And I was like, what is that? And by the time I got to senior year, I had a better understanding of what that looked like. I first saw the benefit of having the degree when I worked on the Hill, but honestly, this job is the first time I've really been in a position where I'm like actually kind of being a journalist. I still don't even call myself that because I think that's weird. And I probably can and should, but there are so many journalists that spend so much time like on the front lines and, and kind of have to come from the ground up in newsrooms and newspapers that I refrain from calling myself that. And then as far as my internships, I interned at RBC Bank, which does not exist anymore, but I interned there two summers and I actually worked after my freshman year. And then every year after that, I was a bank teller. And so my internship elevated over the summer, but during the school year, I was a bank teller. And that also had a tremendous impact on me. I spent a lot of time in downtown Durham being a bank teller. And if anyone knows anything about Durham now, it's starting to look very different, very gentrified. But while I was working there, a lot of low-income folks came into the branch I was in, and I had these ridiculous sales goals. I had to open so many like money markets and checking accounts and credit cards. And these were people who the $5 fee we took out of their check to cash it if they didn't have an account was a big deal. And I felt very conflicted about that. And then fast forward to my final internship at Credit Suisse. They actually offered me a job, but that was kind of when I hit my limit. And I was just like, I want to help people. I don't know what that looks like. I think public policy is how we can do that, but I can't keep down this path. And so I would say what I, I think the business school, while I did get some good leadership development out of the business school, generally the business school and the internship experiences I had from it pushed me more into the public sector. And then when I graduated, I ended up working at United Way for a little while, which really just kind of pushed me all the way in. It sounds like it was process of elimination, you know, and you kept doing all these different business things and you were like, nope, not really that, not really that. And what you were noticing was that you liked the policy side, that you liked the human side, that you were noticing things that weren't, oh, I'm hitting sales targets and oh, I love money. You were like looking at the human side of things. It sounds like even though you had business internships, you were able to identify your passions in other areas and the things you liked, even those classified as a business internship you were still able to figure out, oh, okay, I like this piece of it, or Mm -hmm. this certain conversation is is interesting to me. So thank you for sharing all that. And then it obviously, you know, makes sense that after college, like you said, you went to go work for United Way, which is, you know, on paper, a bit of a switch from banking (laughs) and business to nonprofit. But now hearing you explain it, that that makes a lot of sense. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you found that United Way role and how you liked it? Yeah, um, it was an amazing role. So it was temporary. They every year bring on campaign associates. And what we do is go out and fundraise for their annual fundraising campaign. And I found the job because I applied to a different job at United Way and the HR person got back to me and said, hey, you know, you're a a bit underqualified for this job, but we actually have these campaign associate positions that I think you'll be great for. And came in for my interviews and it went well. And it was such 
an amazing ex- experience. You know, I got to be in the communities that I spent time in and specifically in Durham that I just mentioned and was able to like go into these law firms and places where people have a lot of money and raise money there to bring back to these communities. But I also, Durham Public Schools was one of my accounts and I got to go in and talk to teachers about donating and they were not giving nearly as much as say a law firm or uh, an accounting firm, but I could tell it meant so much more as they gave because they knew that that money would be circulating back into the community to help their students. So, you know, it was an amazing experience and it helped me with my public speaking because at least three or four times a day I was going into an organization to make an appeal about donating. Uh, And then it just also allowed me to see a lot of the disparities that exist again in our education system because I had one school in Wake County that was one of my clients. Now, it was a private school, but just, I mean, the security gate I had to go through to even get on campus was a stark reminder of what some students do have and some students don't. And, you know, what the students who don't have, what they typically look like versus a lot of the white students who are at this private school. So it was a quality first job, you know, out of school experience. But generally, I think it helped set the foundation of everything I went to go on into after that. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And it sounds like learning how to ask people for money and being able to public speak, like you said, will never be a skill that you'll regret having. So, you know, if nothing else, like as you go on into your career and you're obviously now, you know, high up in a lot of different roles, you know how to get what you want from people and you're able to have those negotiation skills, which is ultimately super valuable as well. Would you mind telling our listeners as well a little bit more about the work United Way does if they're not familiar with that nonprofit specifically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So United Way is, it's a large nonprofit, national nonprofit organization, but they have offices around the country um, who are focused on the communities that they're in. And what they do is raise money for partner organizations. And so the partner organizations are the organizations that are on the ground in communities, have a really good understanding of what the need is in the community and can deliver whatever those resources are. And so it's a good way. And now that I'm talking about this, it's so interesting because this is the same approach that we took to our Adopt-A-State program for Crooked last year. And now I'm thinking maybe (laughs) this is what influenced it. But they, you know, one of the organizations we worked with every year, they did a backpack drive and they needed money to get you know, the backpacks and then all the supplies that they were putting in those backpacks for the children. So, you know, the money we raised helped fund those and, you know, different like food programs, just the things that unfortunately the government's not always filling in the gaps for. And the reason I think that that was so great is because if you just, you know, take yourselves, for instance, you have a lot going on. It's a lot to ask someone, hey, you want to give your money to a really good organization? Okay, we'll go do all the research to figure out what organization that is. And the other half of it is when you combine funds, it has a lot greater impact than if you were, say, to donate $100 on your own. So United Way provides a really good opportunity for people to make the most efficient use of their money within their communities. And United Way does like all the vetting and everything to make sure that these organizations are good organizations to kind of pour all these resources into. Additionally, because United Way is kind of like at the top of this, it gives them good perspective on like, okay, this community or, you know, this resource has been allocated pretty well throughout the community. So maybe we should allocate some more resources to this other need. But it's, it's an amazing organization. And I really, really enjoyed working there. Amazing. Thank you for that overview. That's super helpful. And like you said, it's it's cool that they also have a lot of local support. 
So if you want to get involved with your city, you can find, you know, your local United Way and do things in your own community. And obviously every community has their own unique needs. So that's Mm -hmm. another huge perk of United Way. Okay. So you're at United Way. Like you said, it was temporary, but you learned a lot. And then you decide, okay, I think I'm going to go into politics. So, and I think that was really, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was really the first time that you decided that you were going to do politics other than, you know, liking public policy in college. Can you tell me a little bit more about number one, like what was that final straw that made you say, okay, I'm going to really go down this path now? Because, you know, arguably maybe not the most lucrative (laughs) if we still have our original, you know, hypothesis from the beginning. And then two, the role you got, I mean, it's unbelievable to get at your age. And, And we'll talk into that a little bit more, but also, I'd love to know more about the process of getting that role, because I know that a lot of people want to get their foot in the door in politics and you sort of decided you wanted to do it and then you got this amazing role. So could you talk to me a little bit more about that time and that decision? Yeah. So I was still at United Way when I applied to the White House internship. So side note that I should have mentioned um, in my senior year of college was obsessed with Barack Obama. Like, (laughs) I was so excited to watch his campaign. I remember voting for him in the primary and thinking, okay, Hillary Clinton's going to beat him, but he just has to have my vote. And, you know, I'll vote for Hillary Clinton in in the general election. And I became consumed. This is when me watching the news 24-7 started. I first was watching Chris Matthews' show, and then I would just leave my TV on MSNBC all day day, I would fall asleep to it, I would wake up to it. And so I was just immersed in everything that was happening. And for any of you who know anything about UNC Chapel Hill, when we like beat Duke or win a championship, we rush Franklin Street. And that night, I remember it was around 11 or 11.30 p.m., the news called it for Barack Obama. And me and my roommate, like we lived off campus at the time, we both ran out of our rooms at the same time and just looked at each other and like, do we go to Franklin Street? And we had no idea if anyone would be out there. But we got there and it was a small crowd. It was drizzling. And typically the police shut off the street when they know students are coming, but they didn't know we were coming. And eventually the crowd just got so big, they just shut off the street. And it was an amazing evening and, you know, all of it was amazing, but that's how I became obsessed with going to DC. And so I applied to the internship while I was at United Way. And I still can't believe I got that internship. You know, it was life changing. And, you know, like you said, Erica, when you decide you want to work in politics, I did not think that was where I was going to end up. I mean, I remember interviewing for, now granted this internship was unpaid, but I, I remember interviewing for a job that was very like low level. I don't think a lot of people wanted it because it paid like $20,000 a year. And I was just excited to have that opportunity. And so I'm still very surprised that that's the thing that took me to DC because I was trying a lot of different avenues to get there. And it was just an amazing experience. You know, they delayed the process. So I thought I didn't get it. And I finally found out I got it. I was working at Macy's. So when I worked at United Way, I was also working at Macy's because United Way didn't pay that much money in the position I had. And I remember I was at Macy's when I saw I had a missed call and a voicemail. And then I opened my email and I finally got noticed that I had gotten it. And the experience was, I can't think of any other word than amazing. And I just learned so much. While I was there, the Affordable Care Act was passed. And so I just got to see a lot of that like close up, which was really cool and get a better understanding for how Congress worked. And then there are just so many amazing people who worked at the White House while I was interning there. And yeah, it was ultimately what made me want to work on Capitol Hill, seeing the Affordable Care Act get passed. My boss tried really hard to get me to work at 
the White House. But at the time, they were only hiring people who had worked on the campaign. And I was still in school when the campaign was happening. So that didn't happen. But like six to eight months after I left the internship, they could finally start hiring non-White House people or non-campaign people. But at that point, I had fallen in love with Capitol Hill. So I stayed there. I don't know if I just drank the Kool-Aid or if it was really healthy (laughs) for working, but it really got me committed to staying in that career path and and just figuring out like how I could make it work. Well, congratulations. It's still really remarkable. And to see that you did it so young is just absolutely mind blowing. All right. So like you said, you were at the White House and then you decided you were going to go work on Capitol Hill. And I know you ended up having a really long and fruitful career on Capitol Hill in your 20s. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about what you did there, about you know who you worked for and your experience and how you liked it? Yeah, I feel like I can't even say I decided to work on Capitol Hill because so many people try to work on Capitol Hill and it takes them, or maybe I did decide and I was super determined about it, but a lot of people try and it's really hard to break in on Capitol Hill, especially in 2010. Well, I guess it would have been easy to get on then, but immediately after the midterms, it was hard for any Democrats to to find jobs because so many had lost in the 2010 elections. But Pretty much, uh, and this is going to sound like a typical DC story, so forgive me, but I saw the Affordable Care Act get passed, spoke to my mother and said, I want to work on Capitol Hill. Like, this is where I need to work. And so she spoke to one of her coworkers whose son had worked on Capitol Hill and was like, Nancy said, Jake will chat with you. And so I had a conversation with Jake Parker, who like, I will just always hold in very high esteem. And we had a great conversation and he sent my resume to a few folks for me to meet with. So at this time, he was about to basically kind of go dark to study for the bar And I only had his work information. So, you know, he connected me with the people, but then it was kind of like, that was the last I was going to hear from him. But he told me in one of our last calls, he was just like, you know, Shaniqua, I don't want anything from you. You seem like a really smart person. The only thing that I ask is that you pay it forward. And that's a little aside, but it's just something I always like to share because it has has stayed with me. And I think I would have been grounded in my career regardless of whether I got that advice or not. But it's something that just sticks with me. And I've tried to extend to anyone who's like looking for career advice or if I can be helpful with finding a job. But back to your actual question, I didn't find this out until three years later. But Jake had sent my resume into Kate Hagan's office. The reason I didn't find out is because he had like gone dark and I didn't have any communication with him anymore. And also that is also the year that my mother passed away. So I didn't have a connection to Nancy to try to get a connection to Jake. But I I do deep in my soul believe that, I don't know, I always feel like getting that job was somewhat like one of my mother's parting gifts. So he sent my resume in. It was just two interviews, really, to be a staff assistant in Senator Kay Hagan's office. And I thought that I had ruined my final interview with her because it lasted maybe seven minutes. And one of the questions she asked me was, you know, I see you have a lot of financial services internships. Why are you now interested in this? And not thinking, I said, well, in all of those internships, I felt like I was helping rich people stay rich. And I wanted to put my like talent to use for people who need help. And then I immediately just shut up because I forgot that her entire career before she became an elected official was like working at Bank of America. So I thought I had ruined this entire interview. But then 20 minutes later, they called me and offered me the job. And so while I was there, I was a staff assistant initially answering phones, managing the interns and the mailroom. And then I moved up to be a legislative correspondent. 
which in that role, you are replying to constituent letters and you also support the legislative assistants who are kind of the policy advisors to the senator on big issues. So I was the assistant on policy stuff. And then I was really interested in working on education policy and was able to do that in my LC role. But then they wanted to give me a promotion to legislative aid, which was great, but they wanted to take education away from me. And so that was a really hard realization to come through. But in retrospect, it was great. I got to learn some new policy areas. But more importantly, I got to start advising the senator directly, which was great for what came next, which was her losing re-election. We were expected to be one of the few Democrats who made it out that night, but we ended up losing by 50,000 votes and I needed to find a new job. But on my way out of Senator Hagan's office, I, I was interviewing for a senior legislative assistant role, which, you know, made sense for the work that I had been doing. And then the new chief of staff I would have been working for said, Shaniqua, you know, are you interviewing for a senior LA role, legislative assistant or legislative director? And in that moment, I was just like, why not legislative director? So I just responded back and said, oh, legislative director. And my current chief of staff somehow found out. Now, I didn't want to tell him because he, I know how he is. And I didn't want him to like say I wasn't ready to do this job. So I don't tell him. But then one day he calls me in his office and I can tell by the questions he's asking me that he already knows. So I just tell him and he's just like, I don't think you're ready for that position. And so I just kind of look at him like, well, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I'm not going to tell them that. Like, I'm smart. I can figure it out. And so he saw the look on my face and he was like, look, these are the three reasons I don't think you're ready. And instead of that being why he didn't help me, it ended up being the advice I used once I did get the legislative director role. So after he told me the three reasons he didn't think I was ready, he said, I would never stand in the way of your career. And then his assistant sent me a DM on whatever communication uh, software we're using. And he was just like, I've never heard Mike give a better recommendation than I just heard him give you. So like, good luck with the new job and everything. And I just share that to say that like, you know, people will throw stuff in your way. Um, and in this instance, it wasn't even that, but I was throwing stuff in my own way. You know, I questioned if I could do it, but that was the first time in my career I just said, I've worked around so many incompetent people who shouldn't have the jobs they have. I can at least like try to take this and, and see what happens with it. You know, I should say I was hired as a senior legislative assistant, but just for like three months. And then I had proved myself enough that the congresswoman wanted to give me the legislative director role. So those are the different jobs I did. And, and mostly to sum up, you know, policy work on the Hill, depending on varying degrees of authority and access to the member, you're pretty much like keeping an eye on every issue that's in your issue portfolio. And if your boss is on the committee, you're coming up with ideas for bills for them to introduce. You have to prep them for all their committee hearings and then just basically aligning their legislative work with the needs of the district and making sure that the policy that you're proposing and pushing for is going to be you know, hopefully in service to the entire country, but especially the constituents that you represent. Thank you so much for walking us through all that. It's so interesting to hear how it works and how even though you stayed with Senator Hagan and then you moved over to the Congresswoman, you had so many different positions and you kept going up and up in the political ladder, if you will. So one question I do have for you is about, you know, you worked with Senator Hagan for about five years mm -hmm. and you were able to continue adjusting your role to fit your needs. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you were able to communicate that to whether it was the chief of staff or, you know, the senator herself? You kept working and, oh, I want to do education. I'm not letting that go. And, oh, I want to do yeah. this. How did you advocate for yourself at such a young age when maybe they would say, you know, 
shut up and do whatever we need you to do. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Because I think that's that's pretty remarkable that you were able to, in a way, kind of craft what you wanted out of the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that is interesting that you framed it as advocating for myself because I never thought of it that way. But I guess that is, you know, what I was doing at the time. And I will say that what I'm about to say is not the healthiest. Like, I hope that now, especially after COVID, people are taking time for themselves. But I was always just on a mission to prove that like I was supposed to be there and I could do good work. And so whenever I would ask for things specifically in Senator Hagan's office, I had such a great track record in the office from just like working hard that, you know, I, I won't say they never said no. There was a promotion I wanted when I was six months in and I, I didn't get it. And I later found out that the person who did get it only got it because he had been there six months longer than me. And so, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted, but the longer I was there, the more they saw that like I was an asset to the team and I was able to do these things. And I later found out that, you know, I eventually was able to work on education and the woman who was working on it for me had left. And so that's what made it easy. But before we knew she was leaving, my LD, my legislative director had actually asked her if she would be willing to give up education so that I could work on it. And so I really think that having basically proving to them that I will work hard at whatever they put in front of me, that paired with the ask made it easier to advocate for myself. And even having to do that now in my career, I find that even if you can't specifically prove that you can do the job that you're advocating for yourself for well, because you haven't had a chance to prove that, if you can just prove that you work hard, you learn quickly, and you can problem solve, typically those are the things that then when you come with an ask, it's easier to make them, but it's not easy at all. You know, (laughs) workplaces operate the way they do for a reason and just have to be prepared to push through those things. That's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. So obviously you spent some time on the Hill, like you said, um, and you decided to go back to school and get your master's in public policy. Could you tell me a little bit more about that time and what made you decide to go back to school? You were obviously getting a lot of great experience on the Hill. And what made you decide that you needed to go back and get more education? Yes. So when I finally left the Hill to go to graduate school, it's because I thought it would be a break (laughs) and it was not a break. But just kind of to back up a little bit, when I was, it was probably 2012 or 2011, I applied to Georgetown's part-time public policy program and I did not get in and I was very sad about it. So I did what I always do, just like figure out the reason why. And I called the admissions office and just said, hey, I applied like, you know, why didn't I get in? And they explained to me that my stat scores from undergrad were not high enough, stat and econ were not high enough for them to feel comfortable with me working and being in a part-time program that like, if I had applied for like the full-time program, then they would feel comfortable about balancing that. So I ended up taking, for those who didn't know this, I did. I had no idea, the Department of Agriculture has a graduate school <laughs> where, um, you can get degrees. But what I did was just take micro and macro econ and then a stats class. And I did well in those. And so then I restarted my um, graduate school journey again and applied to Duke. At this point, it's 2014. So I applied to Duke and George Washington. And I got into both of those and I had, which this now sounds crazy in retrospect, but I paid my money to go to Duke I like accepted, I sent in my deposit, I put in my two weeks notice and then something just hit me and I was just like, this doesn't feel right. I don't know what I am doing. Part of my reasoning was I wanted to be closer to my ex, which 
don't make decisions like that in your early 20s. Like focus on you and like what you want out of out of it, because I think things would have gone the same way that they ended up going. And I would have been in North Carolina just you know, really for that. But then the other thing that popped in my head when I applied to Duke, I had already missed the Kennedy School deadline, but I thought if I can get into the number six school, like there's no reason I can't get into one of the top two public policy programs. So I decided, you know, I spoke to a few mentors and they were like, look, you should apply a year won't make a difference, except then Senator Hagan lost. And then it felt like I should have gone to Duke. But what that actually provided me was an entire month to work on a really quality application for the Kennedy School because we had lost at the beginning of November and this application wasn't due until the beginning of December. So I put together my application, sent it in and got in. When I found out I got in, I had already started my new job working for Congresswoman Adams. So now again, I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I defer a year. And my whole plan was I'm going to get out of politics. I know going to a school of government seems weird, but I was going to go there, do some kind of business government degree, and then pivot out of politics and finally (laughs) make some decent money. And then Donald Trump won my first semester of graduate school. And I got honest with myself and said, I can either go get a job that is not in this industry at all and then spend every other waking moment focused on the election, or I can just, you know, stick with this work that I actually do like. It's just very tiring. And I just stuck with the work because I will never get over the feeling I had the night Donald Trump won. And I knew that nothing other than working in this space would give me the satisfaction I needed to participate in it. You know, you're absolutely right. You picked an industry like politics where things can change overnight, right? And you go in with one plan, like you were saying, even working for the senator, and then she doesn't get reelected. And you're like, oh, (laughs) completely turns my world upside down. Now you got to figure something else out. And I think that's the perfect example. Like you said, you were planning on going to grad school to pivot a little bit. And then ultimately you realized got to stay a little longer and and figure some things out, which makes a lot of sense. Well, I do want to hear about that job you had right after grad school. Yeah, certainty is very important to me. I have spent my entire life planning. And what I will say is that most of the things that I've tried to plan out didn't go how I wanted them to go, but they've always turned out better. Like even the example I shared about Duke, but ultimately going to Harvard. And another example of this is this job that I have now. When I was in my last semester at the Kennedy School, I'd been working with this candidate volunteering and from North Carolina. And I sent him a note and it was just like, I know this is a crazy idea, but after I graduate, I would really love to be your political director. And he was like, okay, you know, just speak I want you to speak to my new campaign manager. And so we chatted. I thought things went well, but then the candidate called me back and said, hey, you know, we're going to go in a different direction with this position. Not another person, but they were going to make it a hybrid position with a job that I did not want to do. And so way back in the day, in my early 20s, I would have said, oh, I can do this job I don't want to do. But at this point, I was like, I'm not doing a job I want to do, even if part of it is a job that I do want to do. And so then the process moved along with Crooked, And I moved out to L.A. and my first week in my new apartment that now I still live in, so it's not that new. But the candidate called me and basically said that he got bad advice before and he would love to hire me and all this stuff. And I was just like, I just moved to L.A. like I have this new job. And so the candidate is Dan McCready, who I think is great. And like we still chat and everything. But everything that ended up happening with his race, I guess it's kind of good that I didn't go down there. Um, It ended up there was election fraud and they had to redo it. So 
what was supposed to be a two-year campaign turned into a three-year campaign. And he, he ultimately lost. But I got to come to Crooked instead. And I just think that this has been a really great opportunity for my like life. I know that sounds intense, but having spent my entire career working behind elected officials, your thoughts don't matter in the public. Like You talk to your member and that is it. And being able to experience saying what I think and having that out in the world has been just an amazing thing to be able to do after spending my entire career not being able to do that. And the other thing I'll add is my whole plan was, oh, I can go work for Dan. Dan will win. I can be his chief of staff. And I remember I told it to two of my mentors who thought it was ridiculous. And I think they were right that I would go take a job that I could have gotten before I went to the Kennedy School that I would go get this degree and then take a job that I could have just stayed on the hill to do. And one of them told me like, Shaniqua, you have to think bigger than anything you can imagine. The woman who sent me my job, she is a classmate and she reached out to me and said, you know, what do you want to do after school? And after the failure of what happened with this campaign in North Carolina, I realized that I actually didn't want to go back to the Hill because I got a bit jaded working there. I was there six years. A lot of energy came out of me uh, into my work, but ultimately a lot of laws were not passed that I'd worked on and even saw some Democrats doing stuff I didn't like. And so I got in my head, you know, after Donald Trump won, I, I just thought, okay, we need better politicians if we're going to see better policy. And so when this classmate reached out to me, I said, I really want to work at either a media company or a company with a lot of name recognition that can leverage their influence to increase civic engagement. And I told her that, and then she sent me this job. And so this isn't a knock on Dan or his campaign at all, but it was in that moment that I finally realized I needed to stop trying to plan out my entire life because I just thought about generally what I wanted to do, not I have to have this specific job. And I put that into the universe and the exact job <laughs> that I wanted was sent to me. And so that's how I ended up at Crooked. And, and another example of a time that I was really trying to make something specific happen. But when I let go a little bit, it turned out even better. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you've had a lot of people looking out for you. You know, like you said, yeah. telling you to think bigger. You don't need to do the job that you would have done before grad school and giving you advice. You know, you're maybe not so qualified for this job, but I'm going to help you get there and you can do it. And mm -hmm. just having these people that see you for you and really push you in the right direction, it sounds like has been another theme throughout your whole 20s. Letting go of uncertainty is not easy, but you picked a career in politics, so right. <laughs> it's all uncertainty. So, that is true. Um, so it's good practice for you, though, right? Like if you know yeah. if that's your fear, you push through it. Well, Shaniqua, this I could talk to you forever. This has been so fascinating and hearing about obviously a very windy road through your twenties, but everything coming together. Even like you said, realizing adopt a state was maybe based off of something you uh, were working yeah. on maybe a decade ago. So, final question for you is: if you could give one piece of advice to every 20-something, what advice would you give them? To just be okay with being uncomfortable. The reason I was chasing certainty so much is because I didn't like the feeling of uncertainty. It felt like just too much like a black hole. And definitely that comes from like control issues. But you know, all of that comes from somewhere. And it really just is amazing that when I finally like, have I let go completely? No, because I am who I am. But 
I've just learned to trust myself a little bit more that I will ultimately end up where I'm supposed to be. And there's nothing I can really, I mean, of course you put hard work in, but ultimately wherever I'm supposed to be is where I'm going to be. And, you know, trust your instincts. If something just really doesn't feel right, don't do it. But, you know, take chances and just be okay being uncomfortable because that is really how you can kind of incorporate those risks into your life that really pay off big. But again, be smart about it. Well, that's great advice and something I personally need to hear. I also suffer from (laughs) needing certainty in everything I do. So it's a good reminder. And I think, like you said, trusting your gut, you know, there's a difference between something feeling off Mm -hmm. and something just feeling like, okay, this is what I should be doing, but it's scary. Exactly. I'm going to open it now up for the Q&A portion of our show. So as a reminder, we'll take questions from the audience. See, come on up. Well... Thank you, Shaniqua. Boy, I have a million questions, but I'm going to try and limit it. (laughs) I'm so impressed with your tenacity that when you didn't get something, you followed through and figured out what they were looking for and then actually did it. That is a very unique quality. And I think there's a million take home points, but that one really stood out to me. So my question is, you're in the media space and you've combined with politics Right now, we have so many vehicles for getting our information from traditional media. And if you watch, those numbers are going down, 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 the traditional evening broadcasts, to all the different social media platforms and everything. Where do you see information going in the future and where should people look for jobs consequently? Mm. And that's my question. But then my last comment is I'm making a prediction on this show that you are going to be in politics and we'll be voting for you one day. Well, thank you. I completely agree that I will just be in politics now because things just feel like if you enjoy this stuff, you should work in it. On on your question about kind of where people should look for jobs, I think if there was better acknowledgement from mainly Facebook about the role that they play in spreading mis and disinformation, that wouldn't be you know, if they actually like regulated themselves or the government regulated them, people wouldn't go there for their news. But until that happens, I think people will continue to go to Facebook and get incorrect information. So, you know, if you can go work in whatever their department is that makes decisions about that, that would be a good place. But separate from that media in general. So I'm always going to say nice things about Crooked, but generally something that I want to work on in the next year would be great, but there's an election coming up. I really do want us to, on the left, build out a progressive media ecosystem. You know, I think conservatives, Republicans, and those on the right, while I don't agree with most of the stuff that their information or opinions that come out of uh, those entities, I do think that they have done a good job of building infrastructure that gets their folks motivated to participate and not checking out every two years, just always on top of what they consider is quote unquote happening. I think on our side, it would look a little different, be more honest. And then, you know, there are news organizations who are doing as close as you can get to objective journalism. And I think they're going to have to, I think the New York Times is a really good example of just adapting with what's going on. You look at The Daily, for instance, is a really successful podcast. It's just a natural extension of the work they're already doing. You know, if they have a big story come out in the newspaper, there will for sure be a daily episode about it. And they just do a good job of integrating the different types of media that they have together so that people are getting it wherever they can. So I would work at places who continue to meet news consumers where they are. I think Crooked does that well. And again, the New York Times, if you even look at like their New York Times 
Brand's opinion Instagram page, something as simple as pulling out impactful quotes from an op-ed, it's like, okay, well, I think I might go read that now. And so I think the companies who are continuing trying to reach people where they are, I know we put shows on Snapchat. I did not know you could watch the news on Snapchat until we started doing it, or shows, I should say, until we started doing it. So I really think wherever people are meeting consumers where they are is, is where you should start looking for jobs. Thank you so much. And I like this idea, too, of maybe the places where you're not as happy with what they're doing. It could be a little bit more of a headache, but yeah. like let's say like a Facebook, another place going there and trying to make changes. And I'm sure that would be a lot more frustrating because maybe people think a little yeah. differently, but could be really impactful, like you said. Well, Shaniqua, thank you so much for taking the time. I just, you know, I know you said that one person commented to you, you know, make sure to give back. And that's why you do things the way that you do. And I just want to say, I, I'm so grateful you're here chatting with us and and to all of our, you know, our listeners who are going to get to hear all your words of wisdom. I know you have a busy life and a busy calendar, but having you take out the time to chat with us and share your words of wisdom means so much to us. So I just, I do want to say thank you again for taking the time. Can you let everyone know where they can follow you on social media and then maybe where they can follow Crooked as well, if that's where they want to get some of their news? Yeah. So my Instagram is just Shaniqua M and my Twitter is underscore underscore Shaniqua underscore. <laughs> and then Crooked, all of our handles are Crooked Media. And I will also put a plug in for the specific work I work on, which is Vote Save America. And all of our handles there are Vote Save America. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Shaniqua. This has been so fascinating. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or here on Fireside and subscribe, rate and review anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. Thanks for having me.